Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 73rd episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. I'm excited to chat with Colin Tuzinski, head groundskeeper for the Lynchburg Hillcats, Advance A affiliate of the Cleveland Indians. Colin has also worked with the Daytona Tortugas, Bowie Bay Sox, and the Erie Seawolves. Make sure to go back and listen through the catalogs, folks. Uh, there's something for everybody back there. There's 72 other fantastic episodes with amazing people that work in minor league baseball with so many different backgrounds and awesome stories as well. If you want a shout out on the podcast, it's pretty easy to do. Just drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drive us up the charts and turns more people into members of the TARP crew. Also, if there's any businesses out there that are looking to uh, branch into a new form of advertising, um, you know, consider uh, sponsoring the Pulling Tart podcast. Um, you know, just DM me and uh, on Twitter at it's R A Coon. That's I T S R A C O O N. Um, that goes for the rest of the TARP crew as well. Um, DM me if you want to be a guest on the podcast. And that's the best way to um, get all up-to-date news about the Pulling TARP podcast as well. With that being said, let's chat with Colin Tuzinski. Colin, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. How's the season in Lynchburg going so far? Uh, everything's going pretty great this season. I just wanted to thank you for uh, asking me to be your guest on this podcast. Uh, I kind of feel like, I don't want to say it kind of sound cliche, but I feel like I'm honored to be a part of it. I feel like I'm kind of just like a little dot on the spectrum of not just like minor league groundskeepers, but minor league employees in general. Well, that's the beauty of this podcast is, you know, I felt like there was a lot of people behind the scenes, you know, that that make the show go on, you know, um, they, that help small towns in America enjoy minor league baseball. And, you know, this is basically designed to highlight those people. Um, and you're not a small dot. You work extremely hard. Um, um <laughs> So, so yeah, man. Um, and you know, we've interacted a little bit on Twitter. I think we just started following each other not too long ago, but, um, but yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. You're still at the stadium. I know you got a high school, um, practice going on right now as we speak. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah. There's a high school officer game tomorrow. I think it's like, uh, it's called the Ronnie 
Roberts Classic. So Ronnie Roberts was our old GM for 28 years, and unfortunately he passed away in 2020. So when that happened, they did their inaugural one last year. So we're having like the second one this year. So Ronnie was a huge like part of the Hellcats. Like that dude knew everyone in Lynchburg. I mean, I'm pretty sure if he would run for mayor, he probably would have gotten elected. <laughs> so uh, it's something just to give back to the community for like especially for the high school kids and just a nice way to honor uh, Ronnie Roberts. All right, awesome, awesome. Well, that sounds like fun. Um, so I. S- you know, before we started recording, I asked you what you were drinking. Uh, do you want to let the let the tarp crew know what you're drinking today? Yeah, I'm drinking the Hillcats Pilsner, which is a natural light. So, uh, shout out to Matt Bramstad, our food and bed guy, for uh, letting me open up his keg today for this. Nice, nice. I am actually drinking Natty Light as well, except it, oh, it except it's the. Um, pineapple lemonade uh okay so you know how i think it was two summers ago they came out with the natter days which are yeah, strawberry yeah. lemonade and they just came out with these pineapple lemonade ones and they are delicious as far as oh, going to the beach and the pool and stuff like that oh man they go down yeah. super easy and um, <laughs> they do the job trust me i'm gonna try those out absolutely uh, so I saw that you decided to do, like, what, I don't know exactly what the technical term is, um, as far as groundskeepers go, but I saw you decided to do walk-up alleys this season. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the walk-ups are kind of just, like, a little walkway from the dugout to the plate. Um, something that the TR team president, Chris Jones, and I kind of talked about, kind of just going back and forth because there was a little bit of wear and tear from last year. They mm-hmm. had uh, no baseball going on minor league. They had a bunch of high school games. So those kids are a little bit more rough on the grass. They'll kind of take swings wherever they want. So this was just something we decided to put in to hope save with some wear and tear. Okay. Um, so I've talked about that with a couple of groundskeepers that I've worked with. What are exactly the pros and cons of doing the walk-ups? Pros and cons can go back and forth. Like, sometimes the pros could be just, like, the aesthetics, like, the look of it. Like, some ownerships or groundskeepers just like the way it looks with, like, the walk-ups. You kind of have that almost kind of like a trapezoid-type spot behind the backstop. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the pros is, like, yeah, with wear and tear, you don't have to worry about stressing out over those spots in the grass that get chewed up sometimes the cons would be some people may think it's like a cop out just putting this out just putting more on a track but i mean it goes hand in hand where it's like you're gonna maybe have more work working that grass to come back or you know every single time you edge the field you got that have like two more lines or four more lines to edge and just okay. kind of keep up with cleaning those areas up with the track in there okay very interesting is there, what do you think the reason is that, like, the walk-ups aren't, like, more popular, I guess? I don't know. I think maybe it's more just, like, I think they're more of, like, a classic look. Because I mm-hmm. guess if you look back in, like, the early days of baseball, I mean, they would have walk-ups. And I think now it's more so just maybe better budgets, bigger, like, better equipment. It just helps you bounce back those rough areas. Okay. That that makes sense to me, um, but so 
you really see a different side of the players. Um, you actually get to interact with them while they're warming up, during BP, in between innings. What's your favorite part about that, and can you share any stories? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, this year is different than most, I feel like. I feel like Chris spent a lot more uh, like early work BP than in a normal year, but uh, most of the time it's kind of just getting to know the, getting to know the players and the coaches like outside of just the baseball like world like obviously like we'll just talk about like hey man like how's your day going and all this but for me one of the best things is uh what i enjoy the most is whenever we're doing the in-game drags is the players will you know thank you they'll be like hey like thanks guys you know infields right good and whatnot just kind of just having that friendly conversation with the players okay but um I think one of my most memorable ones was uh, I was at one of the local water holes, which I've heard you refer to in a couple podcasts. Um, <laughs> so I was out there on in 2017. It was team was on the road, and I forgot they had getaway day, so they played a one o'clock game. So I'm at the bar, and our coach that year, Tony Manzo, he has a really distinct voice. So I hear guy behind me asked for a menu for the bar and I was like that definitely sounds like Tony Manzo so like I look around it's sure it's him I was like Tony what are you doing I'm like don't you guys have a game going on he's like no it was like a one o'clock game so we ended up sitting and talking for about like three four hours about everything and anything he ended up leaving and I paid for my tab that night nice nice yeah those are those are always like the best you know when you run into people who you don't expect like at the at the bar or restaurant or whatever um but that's that's awesome uh so um i was gonna bring this up you're from erie right yeah erie pa okay i i was actually born in erie myself um grew up in williamsport um my my dad was a paramedic at the time in erie um, so, so we were living there. I only lived there for like the first year or two of my life, but, um, been back to, to visit plenty of times. My parents still had friends there. Um, great city, obviously. Um, but, but yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. And, um, you know, I know that you, you made your, your start in the industry with the Erie Seawolves and then you went on to, with the Bowie Bay Sox. Um, and I was in Delmarva actually, and then you went on to Daytona, the Tortugas, and finally the, the Hillcats here in Lynchburg. Um, so how do those different climates, I mean, that's pretty far up and down the East coast. Um, how does growing grass in those climates differ? Um, yeah, they definitely differ uh, I mean, obviously, up in here, you're dealing more with a cool season grass. I mean, I mean, we have days, I mean, you know, growing up in area where, I mean, you have, you can have snow from October all the way up until March. So, right. I mean, it's just different up there, even between, you know, Lynchburg and Bowie. Uh, it's only maybe like three, four hours apart, but it's definitely like every state climate is different in, uh, you know, you have your warm season grasses down here, whereas, like I said before, in the area of the north, you have your cool, cool seasons. And Daytona, unfortunately, it was a plastic field, so that was kind of really okay. What it was, yeah. Okay, interesting. So that, 
it's a little bit different. Not you know, obviously you can grow anywhere, but yeah, I was gonna. So I don't know if I've ever talked with a groundskeeper that worked on a turf field. How does how does that? I, I guess how does that work, honestly? <laughs> uh, it's a different kind of maintenance. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, there's no cutting involved or herbicides or pesticides and you know, all your fertilizing and all that stuff. Uh, you still kind of have to take care of it. So they have a sweeper and everything that kind of clips up, sweeps up all like the seeds or any debris that's in there and kind of just fluffs back up the, the pellets and the turf and kind of levels it out. But I mean, you still got to, most of the biggest pain is kind of like, the dirt edges on that field kind of like on the natural field you'll still get built up clay and turf is built into it so you either got to blow it out or get the vacuum but so it's just a different kind of maintenance it's definitely definitely takes the fun out of uh groundskeeping when you're on a artificial compared to a natural yeah uh that's interesting because so i'm i worked in beloit for four years and they're getting a new stadium and that it is going to be artificial turf. And I think their reasoning behind that was that they plan on hosting um, like high school football games and concerts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And in the grand scheme of things, do you think that's a wise decision if they plan on doing that many extra events? <coughs> in a, uh, yes and no. Like It's still like a field. You still have to kind of treat it right. You can't just, you know you know, 365 days a year, just pump extra events out of it and then like right. try to, you know, make as much money into it as you can because, I mean, you'll still get some wear spots where like in a few years, like you're going to have to fix those spots. So sure. I do see more and more minor league teams doing that. I mean, obviously I'm more team natural, right. but yeah, I mean, it's just, it can be an easier way for them to pump out more events, but in the long run, I mean, if you treat the natural field right it'll still last up a little bit longer right and the players obviously prefer a natural field as well right yeah I'm correct yeah. i mean unless you have a really bad field then yeah they're gonna take a plastic field over that but sure. if you have say you know you know major league quality natural field they're gonna pick that over the plastic any day right totally makes sense you worked for the Hillcats back in 2017-2018 as well as an assistant and then returned in March of this year uh right before the season started um to be <laughs> yeah. the to be the head groundskeeper um so I'm imagining that was a challenge starting you know in March of this year but what made Lynchburg a place to return back to um I've always loved the area, loved Lynchburg. I mean, I'm from Erie, so it's only about maybe seven, eight-hour drive. So if I ever, like, need to go home, I can just, you know, do that in a day's worth of drive. But I also, you know, knew all the reps still from being back here in 2017, 18. Mm -hmm. Knew, like, how the field played, how, like, drained and everything. So, and I loved the organization and our uh, team president, Chris. So, um just coming back almost kind of just made sense. It was kind of not like I was going into a new place blind. So still had some friends in the area. So almost made coming back here for a second tour even better. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That that has to be nice. 
especially mm-hmm. since you already know like members of the front office and stuff like that. So, um, speaking of members of the front office, do you have any fun stories about working with Austin Cher, um, the, <laughs> the new general manager of the uh, the Otterbots and th- down there in Danville? Um, and he's been on this podcast as well. Um, yeah, do you have any fun stories about working with him? <laughs> yeah, so when I was in Daytona at the time, uh, so you know Austin's big, diehard uh, New York Yankees fan. Mm-hmm. So Roger Clemens, his two sons were in the Florida State League, and when they would come play the Tortugas at home, <coughs> Roger Clemens would sit back by our ground shop, which was kind of right next to the Budweiser bullpen. Yeah. So... Uh, Roger's coming into the ballpark. He has his hat down low, kind of trying to look discreet because he just want to get noticed. So he's walking behind the Budweiser bullpen, like party deck, and then the visiting clubhouse. So Austin's like, hey, man, like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just trying to get some water. He's like, oh, that's fine. Like, you just can't go back there. I'll get you some water. He keeps walking back there. So he starts to get, like, a little more pressure. Like, what is this guy doing? And our other front office guy, Matt, Max, who does sales and kind of set up the uh, picnics, he was like, do you know who that was? He's like, no. He's like, like the rocket and Austin's like jaw and eyes just drop. He's like, <laughs> like, like Roger, like the rocket. He's like, yeah. He's like, Oh my God. So he actually ends up getting a water. He's like, man, I'm sorry. I just didn't know it was you. He's like, no man, that's fine. But that was probably my greatest story of Austin. <laughs> that's so Cause it funny. wasn't like Roger Clemens was like my size when he was like pitching back in the day. Then like, he looked like what he is now. Like he was always a big, big dude. And it's just like, how, how do you not know that's Roger Clemens being, you know, Yankees fan. Right. Plus, I'm pretty sure at the time he was wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt branded The Rocket on. So Nice. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. That's my most memorable one with him. <laughs> That's awesome. So, considering the stops that you've made, I'm sure the budget and quality of equipment has differed, right? So, can you kind of describe some of those struggles? Uh, yeah, I mean, the budget definitely plays a huge part about, mm-hmm. like, how you can, you know, keep your field maintained, but, um, I think I was also listening to is Mitch, you did the podcast with, yeah, was saying, Mitch uh, Hooten. No, yeah, he was saying the biggest part is honestly just having, like, a crew and, like, more bodies, that is, like, I heard that, and I was like, that's true, because, uh, it definitely helps having, you know, a bigger army than it is just doing everything by yourself. But, yeah, going from different places. Like, I know Erie, that was more of a part-time member, so I really didn't get to see much of the budget or know, like, really how the budget really works. That was right. my first time ever doing grounds. Came to add here to Lynchburg. It was a little less spending back then than it is more now. And Bowie, uh we were kind of able to, not honestly, we were able to get whatever we want, but uh, Brian Shawcross, the GM up there, he would just be like, it needs to get done, get it done. And that's what it's kind of been like down here, which is nice. So right, just smaller budgets does hurt, but I would say having few people on the crew hurts even more. Yeah, Mitch, Mitch was the... Um... The only guy on his crew, he had some game day people, but um, we even tried to get him an intern for the summer, and that fell through. Um, I think the guy lasted maybe four days. I I don't know, but um, as as you know, I'm I'm sure 
um, you know, gra- being a member of the grounds crew isn't for everybody. So, um, yeah. but yeah, Mi- yeah, Mitch, Mitch had a tough outing there in Beloit for sure, mm-hmm. but he's, uh, in West Michigan now, so he's, he's doing much better for himself. But, um, I was looking at pictures of the field for 4th of July. That looked great. Um, so what's your favorite, like, mow pattern or, um, you know, way to do up the field and what has been your best one yet? For my, I would say one of my favorite mow patterns is kind of the one I have in right now. It's kind of tough to tell, but it's just like a standard checkerboard, but Mm -hmm. I'll do two, three passes per uh line so it makes like a fat checkered board look but then uh kind of i guess if you want to consider the mo pattern with all the logo and paint we have down here for the fourth of july i'll probably say this is probably like the best the field has ever looked or something like i've done and it wasn't just me like my two part-time guys helped and we stayed i think tuesday we stayed until like 2 a.m doing at least behind the plate and then Friday night we stayed till about like three four a.m. doing like all the stars and touching up all the paint again. Wow! So yeah, it was, they they killed it this week. They definitely killed it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It, it's a, it's amazing to me like what you guys can do with the field. Um, it's just on, honestly like just so amazing. But um, yeah, dude, the field looked excellent for Fourth of July. So hats off to you and your crew for that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so this is the Pulling Tart podcast, right? So are there any tart pulls that stand out to you that you can share? Uh, I would say two or three. Two right. of them kind of correlate in the same home stance. I would say my most memorable one was probably this past year because it was like my first time actually, I guess, like making the call like, hey, we got to go. Like, we got to pull it now. Uh Unfortunately, so we were actually playing Delmarva that okay. ironically, and um, we had a good like two, three hour window where we could have started the game and played, and then, <coughs> sorry about that, um, mm-hmm. we had the storm just backfield and it kind of built up to us, and I think we only got three and a half innings in, and we had to pull the tarp, and uh, talking to the ump's ran down, I was like, we're sitting under a red cell, I was like, we gotta pull it now, he's like, well, it's not gonna look good if we don't, you know, we pull it and no rain happens. I was like, we got to do it now. I was like, all right, let's do it. Roll it out. First stake we put in after we got the tarp out, it just dumped. So I was like, all right. Nice. Yeah. And then when I was in Bowie, we, uh, I was with my, I was working with the head groundskeeper up there, Rich Douglas, who's like one of my best friends. And then Darren. So living in Alexandria, getting to Bowie, it's, about like an hour and a half drive just because of traffic so okay. we would actually sleep in tents outside behind the ballpark <laughs> so okay yeah it was pretty, we had a pretty good setup back there so the clubby would always stay late with his two assistants so we would always like late night you know get the alert we'd be like all right we got to put the tarp on so it'd be the six of us we'd always call ourselves tarp team six so after we put the tarp on we'd go in the clubhouse and help the clubby uh set up loops nice wow Okay, tents tents behind the ballpark. All right. Yeah, we had we had tents, fire pit, and then we'd actually have a projector like Friday nights, and we would have put movies on the side of the clubhouse. 
Nice. That that's epic right there. That's yeah. that's good stuff. Wow. All right. And I'm sure the clubby helped you out with some with some grub too, right? Oh yeah, he always helped us out. So like whatever he would help us out, like I said, we would help him. So you know, I parked on clubby for a little bit. You know, I pulled the towels, hung up the jerseys, did loops for him. Nice. That's awesome. That's that's uh, what being a a friend to a clubby gets you is some, some good food for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> So, you have a you have a mullet right now. You're so you got the full beard, full mullet look going on. Um, I think in your Twitter bio it says, "Don't worry, I'm not homeless. I just look it." So, I wanted to do a. I don't know if you want to do a t- like a Mount Rushmore, which would be what four, or we can do like a top five uh, draft of celebrity mullets. What are you What are you thinking? We could do a Mount Rushmore. Let's we'll do that one. All right. So, uh, so you can go first since you're the guest. All right. So um, I think I don't know if it's in any order, but Yarmir Yarger, the hockey player for okay. uh, the Penguins, I believe that's up to me. That's like tier tier one. Mullet. Want to go with Charlie Blackman, and then who was the other one I had? John Daly. And I can't think of the fourth who I had. Um, uh, we'll go with Blake Shelton. Okay. It's like the old Blake Shelton. All right. Those are those are all classic. Um, oh, yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, so I will go with, in no particular order, Billy Ray Cyrus. Okay. Uh, um. <laughs> I think you gotta. I think you gotta throw John Stamos up there, from his okay, full, yeah. full house yeah. days. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I think Hulk Hogan. I think he kind of made that made that look famous, um, mm-hmm. or at least helped. So <laughs> I gotta do one more here. Can I do Charlie Sheen? Yeah, let's. I think I'm gonna do Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, alright. From from like the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Alright, that that's those are my four for sure. I respect it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um so Colin, where can the listeners find you on social media? Uh pretty much any platform. I'll mainly post on twitter i guess would be my <laughs> where i post the most instagram i do a little bit and then facebook from time to time but most likely twitter facebook and instagram okay what are your handles i i can i can look it up if you need me to uh it is actually let me look it up because i don't even know what my twitter right. i think my twitter handle is it's grounds nomad yeah yep grounds nomad and then Instagram is, I think, just my first and last name. Okay. Awesome. I should know this. Yeah. 
yeah, Colin Sesinski, uh, all together, one word. All right, awesome. And so I know you've listened to a couple episodes, um, especially the Grounds Guys and Austin's episode. Uh, so what has been your favorite walk-up or warm-up song in your baseball career, and whose was it? I'm trying to look it up right now. I knew it was um, it was a first baseman back when I was in Erie. Okay. Um, his name was Dean Green. Okay, I got it up. And uh, big old country boy from uh, Oklahoma, so you'd think it'd be some, you know, country song. And it was, uh, I look it up. It was a song is by Jibs, I believe, and it's King Kong bass boosted. And I want to say it was like the first, you know, thirty seconds of the song. But for some reason, whenever he'd come up to bat, like every kid would just be bouncing off their seats <laughs> when his song would be playing. So it was kind of just awesome to see that. He was also probably like hands down one of the nicest guys out there. So I think that's what made it more memorable. But just yeah, every single time Dean Green came up to bat, every kid would just be like jumping up and down. Nice, nice. That's that's awesome, dude. Well, we'll close we'll close out with that song from from Jibs. And um, just a reminder, everybody, that I have made a Spotify playlist with all of our guests' favorite walk up songs from every episode. Just search for the Pulling Tart Podcast Walk Up playlist on Spotify, and it's there. Um, but thank you so much, Colin, for taking the time out of your day. Uh, to come on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. I know you got um, a high school all-star practice going on right now in the field, on the field, and you're in the press box right now. So thank you for taking the time out of your day um, after a busy 4th of July homestand. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me again. It was have fun. All right. Perfect, man. Thank you so much. You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.